For BYU-Idaho Radio, I'm Chandler Guadney, and I'm joined in the studio today by Scroll Sports reporter Will Vassar. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, of course. How are you doing, Chandler? Good, good, man. Uh, we're here to talk about a little bit about BYU sports, right, and local sports as well. Um, first, let's get the bad taste out of our mouths. We, uh, we both know what we're talking about. Yeah. We're talking about BYU football. They had uh, four chances to get that sixth win, and they couldn't do it. So, uh, with the latest defeat coming in double overtime against... Oklahoma State. Yeah. Uh, and so can you tell me a little bit, give me a recap, uh, why do you think that that happened? Yeah, I mean, it came out to, they came out hot. I mean, they were up 24-6, I believe, after that first half and looking good. It came down to, they got outscored 21-3 in the second half. Offense wasn't able to do a lot for them in that second half. Defense, really, the 21 points, they even forced some turnovers and they put themselves in a good spot to try and help the offense out. And offense did do, didn't do a whole lot. And then you get into kind of later in the game, they're getting, the running backs for Oklahoma State were kind of having their way a little bit, which is a story of kind of the season for BYU of struggling with the run game. And Oklahoma State kind of took advantage of that later in the game. And then you obviously get to overtime after a long field goal from Will Ferrer, and I think it was 52 yards to send that to overtime. And then you get into double overtime, and Oklahoma State – Converts on the touchdown, but they're unable to convert on the two-point conversion, so it left a chance for BYU to try and get that sixth win. Isaac Rex ultimately fumbles on that play where he's trying to stretch it out. It's tough because Isaac Rex is kind of your old reliable with this team. He's been there so many times, so it's hard to criticize him for it. But it's a play that I'm sure he'd like back and the entire BYU staff would like back. Yeah. A few weeks ago, he recorded the he got the record for tight end touchdowns yeah. receptions. So. He's been here a while, and he's etched his name in the history books. Unfortunately, that one is going to go in the opposite direction. Yes. Yeah. So uh, what, is, what can BYU football do in the offseason to get ready for next year? What are they looking to do? Yeah, well, they got a lot of returners coming back with the question marks surrounding quarterback, which I'll talk about in a second. But Isaac Rex, he's a junior right now, so he's got another year of eligibility. LJ Martin, who's a big deal for them at early in the year at running back he's coming back and then Aiden Robbins as well he missed time early in the year but later in the year he really came on averaging 60 yards a game totaled 485 yards on the year and really he was a thousand yard rusher two years ago so he's got that talent in him they're looking to get bigger things out of him and then receiver wise I talked about Isaac Rex coming back at the tight end position but Chase Roberts who put up 573 yards, really turned into a good receiver for the Cougars. He's coming back. Cody Epps is coming back. Keelan Marion. Offensively, they got a lot of receivers coming back. And then defensively, they got uh, Ben Bywater coming back, who they missed him after he got injured early in the year. Tyler Batty's coming back. And then Jacob Robinson, who really turned out to a bright spot for them uh, at corner. He's coming back as well. And then I mentioned the question marks is going to be the quarterback play. It's going to be a matter of is Jake Retzlaff the guy for them or are they going to the transfer portal to try and find something new? I don't know if Retzlaff's it. Uh, he put four games played. He put he averaged 162 passing yards a game, one-to-one touchdown-to-interception ratio, three interceptions, three touchdowns. But the added element he added compared to Slovis was the rushing yards. He averaged 29 rushing yards a game, and he had three rushing touchdowns. So that question mark is going to be there, and that's something Kalani is going to have to answer going into next year. Yeah. I've heard, I've seen reports, and I've heard reports about the coaching sh- staff shifting and moving, um, firings and such. What are you hearing on that front? 
Yeah, I believe it was uh, offensive line coach got removed, and there were some shakeups on the defense as well in terms of coaching. I know Kalani wasn't happy with the way they were getting pushed around on the lines this year. If you listen to his press conferences, it was a big thing throughout the year about we can't get pushed around. That's not BYU football. If you look at them traditionally, they're strong on the line, strong in the run game, both defensively and offensively, and it just wasn't that this year for them. And so I think that's going to be a major priority for them this year, whether that's coaching-wise, player recruiting-wise. It's it's going to change. I have faith in that, and we'll see what it looks like. And offensively, too, there was some quiet points. If you listen to Kalani and the offense talk, they have a lot of faith in A-Rod in their offensive coordinator, so I wouldn't, I'd be shocked if they kind of got rid of him. But we'll see. There, I think everything's in the air. It's a... It's fair to say it was a disappointing year for BYU. Start out 4-1, and one, there's a lot of hope and hype. Now, albeit softer start to their season, softer start to everything. But in that position, you're talking about you need two more wins. And then you mentioned it. They got that fifth win, and they got five more games to try and get that sixth win to get bowl eligible. And they fell flat on their face in some key moments. You look at that West Virginia game, that was a big chance for them. You look at that home game against Iowa State, you have them at home at night at Lavelle, and came out with one of their most embarrassing performances on the year. And so that's like you look at those moments for them, and I think those are moments they're going to kick themselves with. And then the Oklahoma game, you had them where you wanted them, backup quarterback in, and weren't able to get it done. I think a large part, like that game specifically, is Jake Retzlaff did a lot to help them offensively, but he also was a direct lead to three turnovers that turned into 21 points. And so that's a game where I think Retzlaff wants it back and the entire Cougars want it back. And then obviously we talked about the Oklahoma State game where they had their shot and they didn't get it. So like I said, it's a disappointing season for them. A lot of reflection. I think there's going to be some changeover around the perimeter and especially on the lines, but we'll see. Yeah. I I mean, personally, right, I'm not in the room. I don't know exactly what's going on um, behind the scenes, but Redslaff sounds like a good number two quarterback. From what I saw, he's a good number two, not necessarily a number one, like you said. And we'll see what happens with the with the coaching staff. I think A Rod, right? Aaron Rod- Roderick is he's a good he's a good offensive coordinator. He does the job well. I don't think they're going to move away from him. But all that be getting flushed down the toilet. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's next year's problem. Let's yes. talk about what happened on the pitch from the yes, field sir. to the pitch. Um, we're talking about women's soccer, and I was actually in Provo over the weekend, and I saw that on TV with my grandpa. He was going nuts, but uh, they ended up winning 4-3. to three. It was absolutely insane the way they came back. Uh, do you mind giving us a little bit about what happened there? Yeah, I mean, Cougars, they're, the Cougarettes, are, they're a good team. They came out on the year 7-0-3 in conference play, 22-3, in the regular season, they earn a number one seed. And at the exact same time, they're up against a North Carolina squad who I think they beat them last year in the tournament. They uh, eliminated them, and they've had struggles with in the past. And they got punched. It's fair to say the Cougars got punched early by the Tar Heels. Uh, they went up 3 nothing in the first 20 minutes of that match, and it was looking bleak. Uh, it wasn't looking good after the first half, and even early in the second half. There wasn't a lot going well for the Cougars. But it kind of was get that first goal, and Bella Felino got that for them with in the 61st minute, and it kind of got things rolling. Even then, though, it was 
and you're still white knuckling it, and you get down to the final ten minutes of the game, you're still down three one, and then a girl who's been their leader offensively all year, leading them in goals, Brecken Mazingo, she gets one in the eighty first minute, and it, all of a sudden you're down one, and you can kind of start getting it. You got nine minutes left, but you got to keep moving, and then shortly thereafter, Bella Felino strikes again, and you're tied, and momentum. Everything's going in the Cougars' direction. And The Rock, they're going nuts there. They get BYU is one of the best student sections in the country uh, for all sports, and they were going nuts. You got that home field advantage. And you have to think momentum helped them again, as in the 89th minute, Olivia Katoa strikes again and puts the Cougars ahead 43. So they take care of that in regulation. When you're down 3 nothing, headed into the final 30 minutes of the match. And it's really a story of what this team has been all year. They're offensively, they're strong. They're averaging 3.16 goals a game, so over three goals a game. And they have that offense. And it showed out late, but it showed out for them. And I think it's a huge momentum builder, huge thing for them, and will be interesting to see what happens this weekend. Yeah, don't quote me on it, but I think that was the f- like the second time that that North Carolina had surrendered more than one goal in yeah. a game and that was absolutely insane just for our audience who may not know much about soccer it's a 90 minute game so we're talking the cougars were skunked for like 45 minutes they couldn't score and they scored four times in the second 45 minutes with two goals coming like back to back minutes and the last goal coming in the 89th minute so that is that's absolutely insane and the, and the slogan that we often hear the tale of two halves mm-hmm. it couldn't have been more true in this instance, because the Cougars were literally outscored 3 nothing, And if it stopped at halftime, it's a done deal. North Carolina takes care of business. But the second half, Cougars, they they scored four. So that was the, that was the difference there. For sure. And they, they are moving on. Uh, they're in the NCAA tournament, so they're moving on to the final four, I think. Yeah, yeah they got a final four matchup coming up Friday night. Against uh, Stanford, yeah. So we'll see how that goes. I'm excited. It'll be it'll be a fun one to watch. I mean, it's going to be interesting. Uh, just quickly on that one, previewing you for that for fans looking ahead to it. It's going to be Friday night, six thirty, um, and you can watch that. I believe it's going to be on ESPN Plus, if not ESP on the main network of ESPN. And it's going to be two different teams. Stanford is number two in the nation, averaging. I think it's less than half a goal per game. They're giving up. They're giving up point four goals a game. So Cougars can't afford to fall down early there because if they do, they're going to be in trouble. So you're going one of the top offenses in the country against one of the top defenses in the country is going to be whose pace can get played and that's who's going to come out on top. So it's going to be really conflicting styles and we'll see what happens. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah, that's going to be, yeah, Taylor two tapes mm-hmm. and it's going to be who can come out first. You can't do what you did in in uh, on in Provo on, on Saturday. You just can't. Mm-hmm. That's not how it's going to work. But from the pitch to the hardwood now, we go to BYU basketball. They are the Vegas Showdown champs. And they did, they've done two things that BYU couldn't do, or BYU football, that is. They got six wins mm-hmm. already, and they are champions, right? Um, and so they, they went against NC State. Um, they beat them. It was a come-from-behind win. Uh, can you tell us a little more about that? Yeah, the NC State game, for sure. They struggled um, in the first half. They struggled with turnovers, as I think is going to be something you'll have to watch all year with BYU. Um, but especially in the first half, they struggled. They were 
getting a lot of on-ball pressure, full-court stuff from NC State, and turnovers kind of bit them in that first half. And they struck. They were down as much as 12 at one point, I think, in that first half. And wasn't looking good for the Cougars, but they kind of got going a little bit towards the end of the half. We were able to trim the lead down and get a little bit of comfort. And then as things started going, it got better. There was a big question mark for the Cougars, though. I think they took a hit early in that half when Fustraori went down for them. He's their starting center for the Cougars. And going up against NC State, where NC State's a good team, uh, they're missing... There are two dynamic guards they had last year who really put on a show for the uh, Wolfpack, but they still got some pieces on that team. You especially look at DJ Burns, who was their big man, returning from last year. And it was going to be a matter of could the Cougars, they're without Treori, who got hurt midway through the first half, and he was done for the game. And then Atiki Ali Atiki was out for that game as well, who's their normal number two big man uh, in the middle of the paint. He got into an incident the night before and was suspended for one game, and so they're without him. And then Ali Khalifa really stepped up, played some big minutes for them inside the paint, and he wasn't a guy that he hadn't played the previous games. He was, wasn't getting a lot of minutes, but he showed up when his number was called and really helped to, didn't necessarily put up points, but he moved the ball well, helped defend DJ Burns well for the Cougars, and that was a big turning point for them. And then Noah Waterman as well, uh, undersized in the paint a little bit, especially against DJ Burns. He's a big, he's a bit, he's a full load um, in terms of height, and then just really big, tough big man to push out of there. But Waterman held his own, and the Cougars were kind of able to fight back in that second half. And as a result, nineteenth in the nation, mm-hmm. AP top twenty-five. They cracked that for the first time in two years. Um, what are you looking for from the Cougars moving forward? Yeah, it's going to be a lot of. Get ready for that Big 12 play to come in because it's going to be different. I'll talk about that in a second. But non-con wise, uh, non-conference wise, sorry, they got a matchup this Friday against Fresno State at home. Fresno State's three and three overall, but they're a Mountain West conference team, which can be give or take sometimes. Uh, but it's I look at that game as for me personally, I've said it a little bit. It's a danger game for BYU because. BYU of last year and even the like past couple of years, that's a game they might drop where they might fall flat a little bit. So it might be something to be interested in. I could be proved wrong, and if I am, it's a big step forward for BYU for this year. But could watch that game. Could be a close game for them. Uh, I think they're ultimately going to get it done, but it'll be interesting. December 9th, um, they're at Utah for that game, and that's going to be really interesting. Obviously, it's a rivalry game, two teams that, don't like each other and they're going to get a lot more of each other starting next year but Utah or Utah's a really tough team they really battled with Houston uh number six Houston earlier in their tournament uh their tournament they played and they lost ultimately lost by 10 but that was a tight game for a lot of the game and they gave the Cougars a scare at points and then they lost to St. John's too um lost by nine St. John's are an interesting team uh they brought back legendary coach Rick, or they brought legendary coach Rick Pitino in to coach them they take what you want from Rick Pitino and his history there's some muddy water with him he's a good basketball coach there's no way to deny it and he's really working to turn that St. John's program around so Losing to St. John's isn't necessarily bad. And then they also beat St. Mary's earlier this year, uh, a couple games ago. They won 78-71 over the Gales, who are 
constantly a team that's right, sniffing right around the NCAA tournament. So that's a valid win, too. So Utah could give them a scare. It's going to be a tough game. It's going to be an interesting game. Uh, it's definitely something to keep an eye on. And then I mentioned Big 12 play. It's going to be all about it's different this year. It's going to be different compared to when you're in the West Coast Conference. You're not getting Pacific. You're not getting Loyola Marymount. You're not getting San Francisco. These games where some years you could kind of play your C game and maybe come out with a win still, you show up with your B game in the Big 12 and you're at risk to lose. And it's not going to be a lot. It's not going to be enough to win a lot of the nights. It's going to be about BYU finding some consistency. It's going to be about them it's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be ebbs and flows throughout the season, and it's about being able to rally around it. I mean, it's going to be a lot about take care of the games you got to take care of. When UCF comes to Provo, you got to beat them. When West Virginia comes to Provo, you got to beat them. And Iowa State, even, you got to take care of them when you're up there in Provo, Oklahoma State, teams like that. Um, you got to take care of those games because you're going to have big teams coming to Provo, and you're going to go against the road against big teams. So, it's going to be about take care of the games you can take, you need to take care of and steal a couple of those big games. I mean, if you can steal one on the road at Baylor early in the year, which could happen, could you steal something against K-State on the road? Could you steal one against Iowa State on the road? I think specifically looking at you're going to need to take one against Iowa State or one against Texas Tech on the road, which are both teams that are good teams. And then I think for BYU to really have a good year and give themselves – not only a shot at the NCAA tournament, but a good shot at the NCAA tournament and a high seed. They're going to need to take down one of Houston, Texas, or Baylor at uh, the Marriott Center. I think if that happens, there's a really good chance for them because the thing is, is when you're in the Big 12, it, in the in the college basketball world, there's these things called quad one, quad two, quad three, and quad four wins. And it it's kind of judged based off of the quality of win or again the quality of opponent that you're facing and if it's home or away and it, there's all these kind of metrics that play into it but basically it boils down to the quality of team that you played and how badly you beat them in the west coast conference there wasn't a lot of chances for quality one or quality two wins you're kind of looking at road games in Spokane against Gonzaga and some years games against St. Mary's and then home game against Gonzaga. Probably you're looking at four max chances for a quad one win. You're big 12. You're talking basically every night's a chance at a quad one or quad two win. You're not going to really get quad three chances. So when you're talking about getting into the NCAA tournament, there's more room for error from a standpoint of losses because those quad one wins add up and they are a big def- big deciding factor when the tournament committee picks teams. So that's something to keep in mind too as Cougar fans is that idea that if we do lose a game, if they drop a game against, I mean, they're going into Allen Fieldhouse against Kansas. Uh, preseason number one, I think right now they're number five in the nation after losing a they got handled by Marquette earlier in the year in their tournament, but that team in Lawrence is going to be good. Going into Allen Fieldhouse is going to be a wake-up call for BYU, I think. They've been in the Ken- they've gone to the kennel in Gonzaga. You talk about all you want about different environments. Cameron Indoor Stadium at Duke, um, Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and Allen Fieldhouse in Lawrence, Kansas. Those are one of a kind. Those are and Rupp Arena you can throw into with Kentucky. Those four are different environments that you don't see. 
and their environments, you kind of got experience to fully learn it. So I think it's good for BYU that they're going to Kansas this year in the long run because it's going to allow them to learn, get to experience it, and let's go with it. But yeah, if you're talking about expectations this year for BYU, what can you look ahead for? It's take care of the games you got to take care of. Steal one or two of games you probably shouldn't take care of and survive. Just roll with the punches because there's going to be punches and survive the ebbs and flows. And I think they got a good shot to make the NCAA tournament this year, showing early. The question marks for them and keys to success for them are going to be shooting the three ball. Mark Pope has talked about how he wants to get a high volume of threes up per game. And you look at that NC State game, they put up 34 three-pointers. And that's a lot of threes per game. They made 14 of those. The three ball can be a huge swing factor. And if you're on, you're on. The risk factor also is if you're off, you're off. And it can be tough in games. So I think that's a very big point for BYU of which they're going to, if they're on, it's going to give them a chance to beat anyone in the nation. But if they're off, it's going to give them trouble. And so that's something to keep an eye on. And I think talking about turnovers, they could run into issues with guard play in terms of ball handling, bringing the ball up against the press. Uh, Dallin Hall is a great offensive player for them, great shooter for them. Uh, question marks about between Trey Stewart, who doesn't necessarily give much at the offensive end, but he gives a lot on the defensive end, and Dallin Hall bringing the ball up. I think it could be a challenge for them finding a ball handler, point guard to bring the ball up the floor, especially against presses, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I think... You know, when we left the West Coast Conference, fans were like, no more Gonzaga, right? They were like, oh, we're done with Gonzaga. But these are big names, folks. We're talking Baylor, who won the whole kit and caboodle like two years ago. Kansas is constantly in there. We've got Texas, who's like top whatever in in AP ranking. Yeah, they're 16 right now. Yeah. So it's, it's going to be a dogfight all yeah. the way through. And then you add in Houston, too. Houston yeah. is a team who is annually near that top of the rankings. Calvin Sampson is a great coach, and he gets his boys to play. So they're going to be challenged too. I think at some point this year, there's going to be, I'll say there's going to be times where Cougar fans are saying, oh, yeah, can we can we go back to Gonzaga? Can we go? Like, that, that doesn't seem so bad anymore. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see what it yeah. looks like. Yeah, I think, you know, I often think about Iowa State too. They're not, not nothing to mess around with either. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. We'll see. It'll be fun to see how it all shakes out. We're not going to stay undefeated forever. Sorry to break it to you. And then quickly for you, while we're on the topic of college basketball and NCAA basketball, something to be aware of for fans here in Rexburg and the southeast Idaho region is the that this coming Friday here, uh, December 1st, there's going to be a high-quality basketball game here at the Mountain America Center in Idaho Falls. Uh, St. Mary's St. Mary's Gales are going to be playing against Boise State. Those are two teams that are going to be sniffing around the NCAA tournament, NIT tournament, uh, towards March, and they're going to be teams to, that are fringe teams. So it's going to be a high-level basketball game. If you're someone, especially here at BYUI, who I know there's complaints and people will say, oh, I wish we had sports, I wish we had college basketball and stuff like that, well, here's your chance. Tickets are still available, so... If you want to see some basketball, now this isn't a plug for it, but it making you aware, this is here. This is something that uh, if you want to see basketball, go check that out Friday night at the Mountain America Center. Yeah, and fans will remember St. Mary's from, again, our days in the West Coast Conference. So it's going to be a high-quality game. It's going to be a lot to cheer for, and it's going to be fun. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, thanks for letting us know. Yeah. Last but not least, let's pull it into a little more local here, uh, the Spud Kings. 
give me a little bit about Lowdown recap of their season so far and what they can do looking forward. Yeah, good old Spuds. Um, there's high expectations internally for the Spud Kings this year. You talk to people within the organization, they had high expectations to bounce back after last year. Last year was a little rough, kind of becoming used to the level that they're playing and kind of adjusting because they're a fresh new team. They hadn't played any hockey before. It wasn't like they were moving up a level. They just hadn't played at all. So there was an adjustment, and then this year they're expecting to advance because they won a lot of recruiting battles. In Idaho Falls, there is an energy, and players are treated better than basically any NCDC program that you're going to find. Um, it's comparable to Western Hockey League, which is the top level for junior hockey in Canada and parts of the U.S. out far on the West Coast in the Washington area. It's the highest level that always feeds NHL graphics and that gets huge support. The only comparable thing for that in other junior hockey in America is the Spud Kings. They sell at a 4,000-seat stadium, and so there's a lot of Players treat well and people want to come to Idaho Falls. So that sets the scene for why there's high expectations for them coming into this year. They started out slow. Spud King started out slow. They kind of struggled to get going and they had a lot of road games to start the year. And I think that played a factor as well. But they struggled to get some scoring and struggle with their lineup. There's been some roster turnover as of late. They're bringing in some new players, some better, some high quality players um, to help support the team. And they're kind of getting better. Right now, they're sitting fifth place in the NCDC Mountain Division. They're sitting 10-8-1 is their record right now, but they're starting to play better. They're getting going. They're 6-4 and four in their last 10. And they're two points behind Pueblo, the Pueblo Bulls, who play out of Colorado. And they got two games in hand with them. So that's something to keep an eye on. They're chasing them to try and get up to fourth place. Something at the same time to keep in mind on. They're 1-3 against them head-to-head. And so... Got to take care of those games. Uh, and something they're going to have to worry about later in the year is take care of those games. And then there are three points as well behind the Provo Predators, even games played with them. So there's a chance to move up if they get going a little bit. But, yeah, that's kind of what they're looking at right now. Uh, they're sitting 7-3 and three at home, though. The big thing, if you talk to head coach Marty Quarters, is they want to take care of home ice, protect home ice. They recognize the support they get in Idaho Falls, and they take pride in that, and they want to make it a tough place to play, and they want to take care of home ice. And they've done that so far this year. Improving quality on the road is going to be a question. Uh, right now, they're going to be in Utah against the Outliers. playing. Out, I think they play out of Salt Lake City. They're going to play them Friday and Saturday. Last week, they were in Pueblo and kind of got pumped on Friday. They lost 9-2. Uh, and uh, So that was a little bit of a Shell shock. I'll say this. They, I know they arrived late. Uh, there were some travel issues trying to get down there, so the game was delayed. And so that could have played a factor. We'll see. I haven't really talked to Marty about that to find out. And then they came back Saturday and won 3-2 in overtime. That was something to be a big positive with. And a little bit more about Saturday's game is they played their goalie, who's kind of been their third-string goalie all year, Vladimir Pachenin. Uh, he hasn't seen action all year. He came in and had good performance, two goals against, uh, two goals in the first period, and then he shut the door for the Spud Kings. So that's something to keep an eye on. But really what's been the go for the Spud Kings is they're getting goaltending play. Between Preston Carter, who is – he had options to go play Division One in junior hockey, and he's. if you ask head coach Marty Quarters, he's bound to play Division One college hockey after uh, either this year or next year. He's played 11 games for them. He's got a 
Uh, they got a seven and three record in his starts, and he's got three sixty three goals against average. So Preston has been a big backbone for them in terms of getting stops. And then on the same side, Lucas Millant, who is their uh, second goalie, he's returning. He's is his first year with the Spud Kings. Uh, he played, I believe, he played USPHL maybe last year, which is a higher level of hockey. And he's got a two five and one record with the team in his eight game, or the team's got a two five and one record with him in goal over his eight games. But he's got three seven four goals against average, so he needs he's not necessarily getting that goal support. He's got three three seven four is not bad. Uh, you'd hope a little more goal support, especially in junior hockey, where scoring is higher. But a big thing with Lucas, and talk, I talked to him last week or two weeks ago about uh, kind of how he's feeling, what he's going on with the game. He had two back to back big performances. He had a shutout. Or I think he let shutout or one goal against in the Friday game, and then one goal or two goals against in the Saturday game. And so he had big performances and really came out as a brick wall. And talking to him, he talked a little bit about some getting his mindset right. He, I know talking to him, uh, there's been a little bit about getting his mindset right. He was having a little bit of issues with some being away from home, missing being away from home. and But he's having fun playing hockey again. And having that positive mindset's helping him. And so that's something to be aware of. And then at the exact same time, offensively, they're getting production. It's coming from a place you necessarily wouldn't expect. Uh, DJ McLeish, who's 18 years old, he's uh, basically youngest you can be in the NCDC Hockey League. And he's a defenseman too, which is something that usually you don't, in hockey, you don't get offensive production out of your defenseman, especially at a high level. But he's leading the team in points. He's got eight goals and 12 assists. DJ's really stepped up. And you listen to head coach Marty Quarters. He's talked about how DJ has really stepped up to be a leader on the team. Despite the fact that he's young, he's turned into one of their strong leaders. And that's big for them. They're going to need production out of DJ as it continues. And then their captains, George Goodwin and Mateo Mitrovic have been big for them as well. George has 18 points on the year, and Mateo Mitrovic, who's also a defenseman, has 16 points for them on the year. So they're stepping up. Those are two veterans who are returning to the team, and they're trying to help carry the load. And then the big leading scorer right now for the team is, is Matvey Namov. He's a Russian uh, coming here to play in Idaho Falls. He's got nine goals right now. He's leading the team in scoring. A lot of the stuff for the Spud Kings is scoring by committee. They're getting production from all over their lineup, and that's kind of how they flow. That's how they get going. So we'll see if they keep going with it. A player who two weeks ago had a really big weekend uh, was Xavier Goodwin, who's the younger brother of George Goodwin. He's, I think he's 18 years old as well. He had three goals in the weekend, including I think it was two game winners or a game winner and a game tire. He played really well for them. And if he can get going and be an added factor of offensive production for the Spud Kings, it'll be something to really keep an eye on. Yeah, I I love just the whole aspect of having sports in Idaho Falls, no matter if it's baseball or if it's hockey. And it sounds like the hockey team, right, they're, they're struggling on the road, but they're doing well at home. And if they can turn that around, they have really high potential mm-hmm. for things that are coming down the road. Yeah, and then coming up here, they got a big thing coming here to Idaho Falls is going to be the NCDC Mountain Showcase. It's going to be here uh, December 15th, 14th, 15th, and 16th, uh, held at the Mountain America Center. A little bit about what that is. So it's a tournament, or not necessarily a tournament, it's a showcase uh, where every team from the 
uh, NCDC Mountain Division, which is the six teams that play in the Spud Kings League. They're going to come into Idaho Falls, and they're going to be playing a series of games located in the Mountain America Center, and that's going to go on all day. I believe games are starting at 12 o'clock, 3.30, and 7.05. Don't quote me on that. Um, I know what's going to be happening, though, is the Spud Kings are going to be playing every night. So that's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and they're going to be playing 7.05 every night. Uh, coming up there on the 14th, 15th, and 16th. They got the Pueblo Bulls, who were a team I mentioned earlier. They got to catch them. They're a team they got to take care of business against. They're going to be here on Thursday. And then they got the Utah Outliers on Friday night, who are, again, a team near the top of the division. They're a team that was really strong last year and really kind of ran the division last year. The Spud Kings picked up a win over them two weeks ago here at home, and they've been close with them. Got to keep playing well against them. And then Saturday, they got the Provo Predators coming in. Who That's the other team that I mentioned they got to catch up to. They're three points behind them. So that's going to be a big weekend coming up for the Spud Kings. And then just a quick glimpse into what next semester is going to look like, what next then New Year is going to look like for them. they got a lot of road games coming up in January. So we mentioned they struggled on the road. They got to pick that up, clean that up in January. Otherwise, they're going to put themselves behind the eight ball. And then on the flip side, February, a lot of home games. So coming down the stretch where Marty likes to take care of business at home, Spud Kings like to take care of business at home, it's time to show that. And so there, it's going to be a lot of home games in February down the stretch, and we'll see what happens for them. Fan support February. Let's go. Yes, sir. Let's go. All right. Thank you so much. That was Will Vassar. He's a sports reporter for The Scroll, and he joined me to talk about local sports.